Get your gear ready. This is a Sherpa's Guide to Innovation. Welcome to A Sherpa's Guide to Innovation, a podcast dedicated to guiding you along your innovation expedition. Ben Tingey here again with Ann Summers-Hogg, Will Behrman, and Jay Gerhardt. Ready to talk about jobs to be done theory? You bet. Definitely. Greetings, Benjamin. <laughs> well, I've, I've been looking forward to this episode uh, ever since we decided to do a podcast. On our previous episode, we addressed the tech elephants in the room, Amazon, Google, and Apple, and their intentions to move into the healthcare space. Today, we're getting down to brass tacks, the fundamentals of jobs to be done theory, something we've alluded to on previous episodes and which we'll continue to uh, discuss in future episodes. We see this theory as one of the most critical for innovators to understand. As always, you can engage with us on Twitter using the hashtag InnovationEngine. And we'd certainly appreciate a review and a five-star rating on iTunes. Um, Will and Summers and, and Jay's uh, Twitter handles will also be included on the show notes if you'd like to uh, engage in a conversation with them. So buckle up. Here we go. First question. Why should our listeners hire this episode to learn about jobs to be done theory? That is a great question, Ben. And to stick with our Sherpa's Guide for Innovation, perhaps it should be gear up. <laughs> yeah. oh, nice. That was a will joke. Nice. Sorry. Thank you. So I think the first one would really be that jobs helps us to establish causality rather than correlation. So why people acted a certain way, not just who acted a certain way. Perfect. Let's take that as our first takeaway. Jay. It helps you really understand your competitive set. Uh, you usually think about your competitors in your product line, and it really expands your thinking on that. Uh, you may be competing with things you never thought you'd compete with, and that gives you better growth opportunity by increasing your addressable market. Wow. Awesome. Will, number three. Yeah, I think what, what I like most about jobs to be done theory is a, kind of a correlation of what Ann Summers said, but it deals with action, whereas a lot of other customer discovery methods may talk about what people might do in a situation or, you know, what would might drive them to something. This deals with what caused action in the past and how can we create the conditions to create to cause action in the future for other people. And so it really does drive to something more specific than just postulation and speculation. Three great takeaways. We'll come back to those at the end, but those I think uh, our listeners will be able to get more insight as we go through the, the podcast. Uh, so as our listeners have probably noted, our enthusiasm for jobs theory is, is off the charts. Uh, why does it resonate so strongly? Again, I, I think that uh, you know companies that have adopted this methodology, and it's not the only one to use, right, but it's, it's a powerful tool in the toolbox. But companies that have adopted the jobs methodology, I think, have a deeper understanding of what their customers are trying to do, especially if I were a startup and I wanted to try to get a product into somebody's hands who was not just going to use it but really love it and, you know, share the word of mouth and all the other things that you really want to have build um, as a startup in particular. Understanding the job to be done, the progress that somebody's trying to make in their life and how my product or service helps them to do that and makes them want to hire what I have to sell is just completely invaluable. And it's how 
a startup in particular can disrupt an incumbent because or how an incumbent can actually get better and really change the space in, in a market because, it, again, is more about helping people make progress in their life as a customer and not about what does the producer need or what is the producer's perception of a product. I'd say that it's actually a fairly simple concept. When you say theory, theory theories get you a little scared because you start to think of graphs and equations and stuff like that. And what we're going to talk about sounds kind of simple. And a lot of times people will say, oh, yeah, we knew that already. But really, it gives you a language. It gives you a lens. And it, it's kind of a mindset where now that we've learned it, I mean, <laughs> you, th- you three know it's like you don't ever think about a, a purchase the same again. No. And you, you honestly start to analyze yourself, uh, the purchases of your family members, and then you drive them crazy. But it's once you get it, it, it sticks with you and it really changes the way you look at a lot of your decisions. Yeah, I I really like it because and it probably gets back to my key takeaway, but I'm a big Simon Sinek fan and his why? concepts start with why. Well played. <laughs> um, but I, I really see it as and if listeners aren't familiar with Simon Sinek, start with why go watch his TED talk. It's awesome. But he gives a really effective example and he talks about why Apple is so effective in their marketing. And it's because they start with why, which is think different. And then the next layer of that is how. So by designing really eloquent products, they attract people to think different. And then the last layer is the what, which is the iPhone or the iPad or fill in the i product. But I see jobs as a corollary to that because understanding the job to be done tells you why people acted and jobs is a way to uncover why. So I was always really attracted to Simon Sinek's start with why. And this kind of answered to me, how do you start with why? Like, how do you uncover why? Good example. Great example. All right. So let's get down to the fundamentals here. Like Tim Duncan, the big fundamental. Uh, what is a job? And Summers is still I, I trying to figure out the basketball. Tim Duncan, basketball. Basketball it's analogy. Big fundamental. Uh, She's got to get out more. So a job is the progress someone seeks in a given situation. You do know what that is. I do. The progress someone's trying to achieve in a given situation. Right. So, And it's really important that the job has two parts. The first is the progress. So what is it that they're looking to achieve? And then the second part is the context, so the given situation. And people have jobs. You have multiple jobs throughout your day. So jobs arise in our lives all the time. And that's why it's so important to have both the context and the progress because your job to be done changes. Um, it's not like you as an individual only have one job to be done. And it really has nothing to do with the solution. It's about what the customer is seeking. So the the job is not the product or the service that you have. Your your product or service is fulfilling the job that someone has. I We often hear people talk about how a product or service meets a customer's needs. How is meeting a job different than meeting a need? Yeah, good question. I, I think that, uh, you know, meeting the job, again, is a bigger issue around progress. So, you know, I am trying to raise three healthy kids, and there are needs along those routes, right? I need them to be good citizens. I need them to be well-educated. And I have those needs that are sort of sub-products, but they're not really the big goal. And 
you know, I think the needs are, are smaller and more finite and not necessarily as context-dependent as the job would be. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And it's the way I think about it is that jobs are a compilation of needs within a given context. So the need, an individual need, is smaller than a job. And those needs have multi-dimensions. We think about needs, you know, I need to eat. You know, that that's what we call a functional job. And uh, a lot of times throughout history, companies focus on the functional need. And we do that in healthcare. Someone has a problem, we need to fix them. But what is so powerful about jobs theory is the focus on two other needs, and that's the social need. What, what, how do I want people to view me? What am I concerned with how people will perceive me? And the emotional need, how do, how do I want to feel in this situation? Where do products and services enter the equation in the in the in jobs? I mean, um, if, if jobs are this deeper progress that, that we're trying to achieve, how can consumer products and services and things like that? What, why? How, how does that help people make progress? Good question, tough one. But I'd probably start by saying it's really a tool to, to serve those needs. It's a way someone gets a job done. And depending on the context or the situation, they may hire different, different products or services, but it's, it's almost like a tool that someone uses. Yeah, there, there are forces that help somebody to either pursue completing a job or that hold them back, right? And these forces compete. I mean, it's, it's almost a physics equation. And there's a, a push of the situation. So how bad is it? What's the opportunity? There's the pull of the new solution, which is the opportunity for change, right? And those are being counteracted upon by current habits or anxiety of the new situation, right? So you've got these opposing forces. And the products and services help to either accentuate the positive forces are weaken the negative forces so that people want to act more, right? So one of the things that Apple has done to get rid of anxiety of a new solution is quite honestly, they've just made it simple, right? They've made their user interfaces very simple. They've made the connectivity between multiple products simple. And as somebody who's not a huge techie, when I got Apple products, I was convinced, I was sold because they made it easy for me to use, right? So that's where the product services and the features come in to help achieve the goal by either reducing the negative forces or enhancing the positive forces of change. Um, I, I think we'll we'll come back to the, the four forces in a bit and go a bit deeper there with, with some examples. But I wanted to maybe first ask how, I guess this is one of the takeaways, is, is uh, why, why is jobs to be done such a powerful customer discovery method? What advantage does it have over others? Yeah, I think one big advantage is that this goes back to what I said. It really tells you why people hired a product or service or acted the way that they did as opposed to just telling you who did it. So it tells you causality versus correlation. And I think the best example of this that I can think of, it is a healthcare example, but when we were doing some jobs to be done discovery, we kept hearing patients say, when I'm getting older, as their reason you know, as a context component of why they were hiring a certain primary care practice. But the interesting thing was the people who said, when I'm getting older, 
were between 40 and 73. No marketer who was buying, you know, ad space based off of demographics would have targeted a bucket of 40 to 73. So it was about the job. When I'm getting older, help me too so I can. So they were, I mean, if I just knew who, I wouldn't have been able to speak to them in their language. But because I knew why, it was much easier to target them with the right product or service because age and demographics aren't a um a reason you know they're, they're not it's it's not a context right the context is what somebody's doing in their life and where they are in their life not necessarily their age exactly i, I absolutely love that example um i'd also make a tie-in here um you know uh, in later episodes, we'll start to get into design thinking. And I think there's a fantastic tie-in between jobs to be done, discovery, and the insights you get, and human-centered design. Because human-centered design, the first step is empathy. Walk in someone's shoes and care about their life. And when you get at the job and you're asking about more than what their their zip code is and what their age group is, and you're asking, well, what was going on when you uh, – did that? How are you feeling? Who talked to you? That that sort of thing. I, I think there's just fantastic synergy between jobs and, and design thinking. Yeah, they overlap and they build on each other really terrifically. <clears throat> yeah, that's that's a great point. Um, how do you figure out what a customer's job to be done is? I mean, you can try to design for it and and create products and services for it, but how do you figure out in the what is your job customer yeah and i think that gets back to what both jay and will were saying earlier which is to will's point um to understand what causes people to act you have to know how they've acted in the past and so it's really essential to interview customers who have exhibited the behavior or made the hiring or firing decision that you're looking for it's important to interview them and you also want there to be a recency effect. So people can't necessarily remember what they did a year ago or why they did something a year ago. So you want to talk to people who've made a hiring or firing decision in the last 90 days. Um, I would say as you do that, you also uh, look for where people struggle. You're searching for struggling moments. And uh, as you do that, really, and we we learned the interviewing from, from Bob Mesta, the Rewired Group. And you know, you get at the timeline, and Will started talking about what we call the forces of the progress, the forces of progress, pushes, pulls, habits, and anxieties. And that's kind of your interview guide. You talk to somebody, take them back in time, and you uncover what those struggling moments are. Yeah, and what, what are the triggers that help somebody overcome those struggling moments? And then how do you create a process, a product, or a service, an experience, really, that enables them to overcome those uh, struggling moments and, uh, you know, when those triggers occur and, and help them based on how they're thinking, not how the producer of a good or service is thinking, right? So in our case in healthcare, it's how does the customer, the patient, what are they thinking at the time that they have a need? Not our our need for, you know, privacy and confidentiality and speed and efficiency. Those aren't the things that the customer's thinking of. So we get at their thinking, their mindset, their progress and timeline, really, and how these forces are affected by their thinking over time. 
Yeah, true consumer centricity. Exactly. That's great. Well, let's let's get into some examples. Uh, and I alluded to this in a, in a previous episode that we we're going to ask Jay about why he decided to hire Twitter. Uh, so maybe using some of the concepts that we've talked about, Jay, I'll ask you, why did you hire Twitter? Sure, What sure. was your job? <clears throat> and this is kind of an example I told you earlier. Once you learn this, uh, once you see it, you can't unsee it. So this is kind of why I wake up in the middle of the night on a weekend and start thinking about <laughs> applying the forces of progress to why I hire Twitter and then feel compelled to write about it. I'm not really sure what that says about me. <laughs> but, you know, in thinking through it, you know, about 18 months or so ago, I had almost no social media presence, really a little bit of LinkedIn. Um, Facebook, uh, uh, I did not have a job that uh, to do that Facebook was, was going to do in terms of, you know, uh, putting everything that I'm doing in my life and seeing everything that I'm that others are doing, I didn't have that. I had a push, uh, a colleague telling me to get on Instagram. You could, you know, uh, I know you're a big Rush fan. Go, uh, go look at Getty Lee's pictures on Instagram. I'm like, again, I don't have a job for that. And and Summers is looking at me. It's like now we've made another reference, old guy reference. Who's Rush? That, you, know, you know, who's I didn't who's say Rush. anything. Um, but so those, you know, there wasn't a pull. There was not a pull of Facebook. There was not a push of Instagram. Um, but then the context was, as uh, I was starting to my 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 job was really kind of shifting and getting more into innovation. Is really before I joined Innovation Engine, I start working with Will and Ann Summers. They're introducing me to jobs to be done theory. I, I want to learn about that. I want to learn about design thinking. And it's like. How do you do that? So I'm listening to Bob Mesta's podcast, you know, hear him talking about Twitter. And I finally kind of get into this and I, and I uh, find out it's, it's a place that you can go to really uh, learn about topics, people uh, that you're interested in, find people with common interests. And I had anxiety doing it. Again, I'm not a social media person. I, you know, setting up a profile, uh, tweeting out thing. It's like when you hit tweet the first time and you've never done it, and you know that it's going out there. You, you don't really realize. Well, you have like one follower, so no one's going to see it. <laughs> but it still creates anxiety. But you know, um, after I, you know, I used it, it. It turned out to be such a great place of content. It's like actually the first thing I did is I get into Will and Ann Summers, um, who they're following. These are people who are interested in things that I want to learn from. So I start from there and then it just kind of cascades. And, you know, so it's really a context is when when I'm kind of undergoing a career shift and I really want to uh, uh, learn new things, help me find that relevant uh, that relevant content so I can kind of shift my thinking and learn things. You know, I could have hired Google. That's like need, needle in a haystack. You know, Twitter kind of helped filter it down a little bit. You know, one thing, too, I'll say just from having seen Jay go through this uh, transition and progress, he's also very interactive on Twitter. And so what I think it, why it's worked for Jay and what I've learned from him about how to better, you know, meet 
use Twitter for my job to be done is just put yourself out there, mm-hmm. ask questions, dialogue with people, get engaged around topics and understand them even deeper than, you know, what people just push out to you. And I think that's been where I've kind of picked up from from Jay and taken off and, and really learned better how to use Twitter and how to engage in it. So I use it for fly fishing, too. So it's not just work related. But <laughs> yeah, there's a whole social element. There's more of a, you know. Uh, you know, once I'm getting to a certain age, you know, it's like, help me feel relevant, you know, and feel like I'm making an an impact. And the way you can reach out and connect to people that you would never otherwise have before Twitter was here is is really amazing. The access to leading experts on any topic is just incredible. So you're right. It's a great way to remake yourself and, you know, to shift course career-wise. So, I mean, that's a company that... I know they they they've kind of stagnated in the growth. There's a lot of discussion about you know where they go in the future, but for these things, they've kind of nailed that job to be done. Yeah, I'm, even this millennial has learned a ton from from Jay. And I, I think as millennials, we approach social media in a very passive, reactive type of way, where we're much more of a consumer type. But I think Jay approaches it as a producer and as a more of a creator, and, and is more proactive in. Uh, pushing out content and engaging and creating conversations and dialogue. Yeah, I feel like on a weekly basis, Jay will stop by and say who he had just had a dialogue with on Twitter. And I'm always really impressed by it. And I think you really hit at it that millennials do tend to be a lot more reactive to social media as opposed to I don't know. This conversation's made me think I may need to reassess how I how I hire Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is a great example, great discussion. Uh, I'll open it up. What uh, what other examples, maybe in your in your, I don't want to get too personal, but just in, in your lives as customers, as people, what are some of the jobs that you have identified in your life, and how have you applied some of these theories? Uh, in uh, you know, it, it really has become personal for myself and my wife, and the fact that we have three kids, very active schedules. They've got a lot of activities, usually in multiple states, um, on a weekend. And so we have a discussion around the job to be done almost on a weekly basis um, for that upcoming week. So as Ann Summers, you know, really stressed early on, it's about context. And so each week we really have a different context in our family's life. And uh, so a lot of times this is the framework we'll have discussions around of what are we going to do this weekend? Sometimes it's just how are we going to survive and manage logistics to get everybody to where they need to be? But after a couple of weeks of those, our context tends to change. And we need to spend some time together. And if we don't make a conscious effort and have a conscious dialogue around it, then we're going to stay in the rut that we're in. And and the primary difference between a rut and a grave are? The the, dimensions. Exactly. And so, you know, the, the forces of habit will take over. And so it's through this type of discussion and language that we realize, okay, this is a weekend we need to be together. So bar none, we're carving out a bit of time. So anyway, it's been a great platform for the type of dialogue that we need in order to uh, really just make sure we stay together properly as a family. Great example. This probably won't come as a surprise since we've already mentioned that I don't really know many references to modern day culture or that I don't get out much. But... My husband and I this year, this is a recent example, I asked him, we've been planning this 30th birthday vacation, and I asked, what's your job to be done with this vacation? Because we couldn't decide where we wanted to go. 
paralysis by analysis. But once we outlined the job statement, it was so much easier to figure out where we were going to hire for vacation. So this sounds really nerdy, but we did actually develop a job statement for our <laughs> did vacation. Did you do a forces of progress? We talked about it, but I didn't write it on the paper. I did do a mini mock interview of him to understand what he liked about past vacations so that I could figure out what the job was. And you do realize that none of us in this room are surprised. No, not at all. <laughs> I could tell by all the smiles on your faces. <laughs> but I think that, I mean, to your point of... Jay, once you see it, like you can't unsee it, you really do start applying it to a lot of places in your lives. And I I can now reflect on past vacations and think, wow, if I'd really understood my job to be done there, I would have made a different hiring decision. And, and I think these examples are, are good to start with from jobs. You, you can always go to the theory and go to companies and have real corporate examples. But, but I think when you start really thinking about it personally and because this is very much, and you go back to your first question, why it resonates. It's about human behavior. It's about why we make choices and why we do the things we do. And that's why it's just one of the most profound things that I've learned. It, it, it gets to those functional, social, and emotional components that you may just otherwise gloss over as you're trying to say, oh, let's develop my product with all these features and benefits. Yeah, and if you think about some companies, like I think some of the ones we talked about in the past too, like Lowe's, you know, and their motto of love where you live and how they've tried to define the experience at the store around not just buying a tool, but about buying a solution. And they even have uh, you know, clinics to help you develop the solution on your own. Or at Disney where they talk about, you know, getting away from reality and escape, you know, for all ages. And they really develop their processes and their resources around that so that the experience is encompassing of that job to be done. You know, there's a lot of companies that have done this well, and not surprisingly, these are companies that are successful. And I think also if you look at a lot of successful startups or young stage companies, they're addressing a job particularly well, but maybe just one or two small ones, right? And that's how it grows and then builds. But that's where they're coming in and disrupting is when they're really understanding the job in an industry where correlation is probably more the norm than causation. And they'll come in with a product that has a better addresses causation. And I think, you know, that's where you can look for those companies that will probably be successful in the future in, uh, you know, in, in industries where they, they really start to stand out. So I think there's some examples of that within primary care, within healthcare. Um, so anyway, I, I think that there are a lot of good uh, examples out there that uh, really resonate with people. But what I found powerful is when I was able to personalize it, it does become part of your DNA. And so it, it just it is uh, very few things in my life have been revolutionary for me. This has been one of them. That's a great comment. Well, you, you've all shared an example. I, I might take a uh, indulge a little bit and take uh, share an example on my own. So one of the most famous, well, I guess one of the original Jobs stories is uh, the milkshake during the commute. Uh, many people might be familiar with that one. Um, I, I thought differently about the commute and what is my job to be done on my commute. And from a functional standpoint, you know, you had to get from A to B, but there's time to do something, uh, whether it's listening to something or talking on the phone. And, but from the social emotional pieces, I'm the job for me is, uh, I want to use that time for personal growth 
because I don't have a lot of time as a young father and mm-hmm. young professional. I don't have a lot of time in the evenings or the mornings to be learning something, to be, uh, you know. And so I was, I had hired NPR, but that wasn't meeting my job to be done because it was making me more frustrated or <laughs> hearing all the stuff on the on the radio um, that uh, uh, just got me stressed out. And so I ended up firing NPR and hired audiobooks. And that's been an awesome use for my commute that has met my job to be done of personal growth. And um, so that's... Uh, and I like that because the examples I think all of us have given are things where once we realized what we were trying to accomplish and the progress we were trying to make, we took deliberate action to in almost every case to move away from what we were doing in the past because we understood what was going to make progress for us, what was going to make us happy, what was going to get us where we needed to be. And that's what I really like about the jobs. It's not like, oh, I just happenstanced upon something. I made a deliberate action. And uh, anyway, I think that's the power of it because if you can convince somebody to make, take a deliberate action, to change behavior, especially in healthcare, that's very powerful. And there aren't many other examples of that in the you know in past of healthcare. So, jobs to be done theory. There it is, folks. Uh, well, let's review our takeaways before we conclude. Uh, Ann Summers. Yeah, and I think. I might, to reiterate my takeaway, it's the job helps us establish causality rather than correlation. So why people acted and not just who. And I'm going to use an example based off of your commute one. So if you just targeted people based off of who, we're in the same age bracket, people might think we would hire the same thing for our commute. But we don't because I had a different job to be done around making my commute as short as possible. <laughs> so it's all about why, not who. Yeah, very good. Next takeaway. Yeah, I think mine was about the competitive set. I don't think we went as deep on this one. I think we likely will in the, the next episode about if you understand the job, you, you really uncover a lot more competitors. You know, we, if you think about all those different things you could hire on that commute or as I tried to learn, you know, I, I could hire, you know, I could go back to school. I mean, Twitter competing with a second degree. And the third thing that I want to bring up as a, as a takeaway again is that jobs is about action. It's about what has led to people creating certain actions in the past and how can you create the processes and experience that uh, can you know, cause action in the future. So it's not just about speculation, but it's about you know, creating action. Well, Ann Summers, Jay Will, thank you for your insights on, on this important theory. You've, you've helped me gain a, a deeper understanding um, uh, join us for our next episode as we apply jobs to be done theory to healthcare. And even though you may not work in healthcare, uh, we think that you'll learn loads about how the theory plays out in practice. This has been Tingy. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>